We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. I'm honored to have on the, to be interviewing today one of my favorite PPCs, Divya Patel. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, yes, that's right. I get a gold star. I give myself a gold star if you're married here. Um, so let's jump right into the story. Uh, uh, what's, what's your client horror story today, Divya? Um, so it was actually quite a while back. Um, I was very early on in my career. And I joined in sort of halfway through the process um, where it was already stable client we're already providing um, a range of services and I was quite new to the company as well Um, the client I'll just make up what they sell just for the sake of it so they sold men's luxury watches so they were trying to enter into like the premium market Um, but the two owners were quite young they were pretty much in their mid-20s so they themselves were very new to owning a business, running a business. And they were very, very ambitious. Like as soon as they came on board, they knew what they wanted. Yes. Um, so in terms of expectations, they had high expectations. Um, they also expected like quick turnarounds on many tasks just because they're quite new to it all. Um, very little digital knowledge, I say, which I think looking back, I it's probably... Um, they probably should have been onboarded a little bit better. What I've learned over the years, as we've sort of developed processes across different agencies, the best way is to onboarding is like the key bit when you're bringing on a client, um, because that's where you set the expectations. We get an idea of how much digital knowledge they have and make sure they understand what you do and what they should expect as a minimum from PPC or paid social. And I feel like, if that was done, then it would have probably caused less friction further down the line. Let's dive into this for, um, for a minute because it's an interesting question. You brought up two different issues, their age and the onboarding. And their age is actually a really interesting issue because I think when people are young and starting out, your expectations will always be unrealistic because you don't know how things go, uh, yeah. uh, really. So it's interesting to think about client age as a, as, as a risk factor. And one of the interesting things is it ties into your point about their digital knowledge, often in a converse way, where that it's people who are younger will have worse expectations just due to lack of experience, but they'll have usually have more digital knowledge as compared to like, like old fogies. Well, old people, on the other hand, will have the, the reverse yeah. set positive and negative where they'll where usually older people their expectations will be much more realistic um on the on the other hand they're much less likely to really understand the digital world as well yeah Yeah, i I completely agree it's there's goods and bads i think the positive is that the excitement 
they, you know, they're just as excited as taking this brand because they were quite, <clears throat> I wouldn't say they were startup, but they were at a level where they wanted to earn um, in terms of like annual revenue, they wanted to get into the like six figures. Um, but they were quite early on and they were very ambitious, but I think the expectations, we just had to sort of like rein them in a little bit and, you know, take, say that it does take time for you to get what you need, especially when it comes to PPC, where there's a cost attached to it. There's the cost of the agency and then also the cost to, to Google. So and Before you get to the heart of this story, on the other point, on the onboarding, what is, do you think, the most important expectation that you didn't set with them that, that now you realize you should have set at, at this point? I think it was looking at the website, just looking at the external factors of where they sit as a brand in the market, because they're quite new, no one knows them. And I think the difficult thing is brand recognition and there's better ways to build brand rather than going straight in with paid advertising. Um, and I think that really helps, especially with a product like that, what they've got, they need to build trust with the audience and build like a, a, a basic customer base. I and see. Also, I see. So they want to hire you to do, uh, to like Google ads, but what you realize now in, uh, in retrospect, what you should have done in the very beginning is like, oh, instead of Google ads, focus more on brand recognition. Yeah, so okay. they had issues with the website, which we found out whilst we were doing the PPC service, which conversion rates, obviously a key factor. So in terms of UX, like how people uh, shop on the website from landing to checkout, that's just okay. so important. And we could have analyzed that better. And instead of just starting to focus on, let's try and find clients that are good for PPC. I feel like take a client and analyze everything from start of the purchase journey to when someone actually purchases something and then have a look at what opportunities there are. Because sometimes PPC isn't the answer to everything. And if they go with things like Crow conversion rate optimization, UX, UI, that's best to go first and then bring in the paid. Uh, that's, that, is, that is a good learning which is often you're so excited that you jump right into the thing you're a specialist at. So it's a, so it's good when you, uh, when you, um, to realize in the beginning to start the bigger picture. And I like your time to doing this as an onboarding because usually with onboarding, it's all about learning from the client what they need, but it's actually goes in both directions. Okay. The stage is set new client. Now I, they, they hire you. What happens? So we had different teams. Um, in the agency, we had the PPC, paid social, and then we also had the PR side of things as well, which was really helpful. And we started off somewhere in the process to launch a YouTube campaign. And it was purely for brand awareness. Um, we all know that YouTube doesn't generally drive bottom of the funnel um, conversions. And we thought we, we we suggested we'll create the assets for you because we've been with them from the start in terms of creating a brand and finding their place in the market so in terms of like messaging tone of voice you know asking them questions because they're quite young they also need help on where they want to be and we actually offered that part of, of of the service as we do and we kind of figured out like a strategy when brainstorming figuring out how are we going to create these assets create creatives in what order do we push it out especially when you've got like new product launches we went away 
they said, no, no, we'll sort the, the assets out. We'll sort the video. All you need to do is build a YouTube campaign. This was initial and start. And we gave them a brief on what we would like in the video campaign. Question, wait, did you offer to create the YouTube and add assets, but they said, no, we'll do it ourselves. You should just do the campaign. Yeah, because we had an in-house videographer who takes like shoots and stuff, yeah. Got it. Okay, so what's interesting. So that already feels like a yellow flag happening because when you're working with someone and you say, hey, I do all these things, and there's this very similar thing as part of what we also do, and they say, no, 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 for this other part, we want to someone else. It's like, wait, we're the specialists. Why, why, aren't, why aren't you hiring hiring us? So that would like raise a little ding in my head. Yeah. Especially when they were asking questions of what we what they should include in the shoot. I think they already have their own photographer in terms of shooting the e-commerce photography you know, the images of the product on the website. So whilst they're doing a shoot, might as well add um, time in for the actual video. And we brief them in. And obviously in any release of a, you know, a new product launch, you would expect the video to be focusing on the detailing of the product. And it is really all about the watch, shall we say. Yes. And I remember I came in and they posted the video on YouTube so it's public, um, and they hadn't told us about it. So it's not something that they sent they through. Posted the without telling you. Yeah. So they didn't send it to us, which we would have liked to give a little okay. bit of feedback because we're working together. They post it up, and I came into work one morning, and my manager is the type of person where you can see it, like how she's feeling. You can see it on her face. Like if she's annoyed, you can, you can read. And I came in, and I knew straight away something would happen. And walk into the office and you can see a group of people huddled around a computer watching something. I was like, oh no. <laughs> and we went and it was, oh, it was shocking. Like the video that we briefed, which was supposed to be about the products, instead was what we said, a group of men sat on a sofa, you know, with the actual watch on and the camera focused. But instead of focusing on the actual product, it was a wide shot with a group of women in lingerie just walking in the background. Like it, it was in lingerie, in lingerie. Yeah, like it, it was so relevant. But they're not selling lingerie. No. So you get like other snips of like someone. Yeah, it'll just be like mainly about the women in 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 underwear when it wasn't about that. And I could just everyone just didn't really know what to say. Um, then I Wait, remember, question, question I I have to ask for people watching in the future. It's now the year twenty twenty two. How long ago was this? Because I feel like in twenty twenty two it would be like a big red sign. But there's a point 10, 20 years ago where where this is a bit more acceptable. Oh, this this wasn't that long ago, so it became a massive. Yeah, so I basically sat That's down and she said, I told her obviously, and then she goes, "That's that's not all." She told me to type in the name of a client with a name of a tabloid into Google, and there just we they were plastered on the front page of UK's one of the biggest tabloid in a negative in the wrong way because um, for this video because yeah. this video. Because it was shown as like degrading women, like it just came across in the wrong way. And we just thought all that work that we'd put in to building that brand before we, you know, start pushing in other channels 
and it's just gone the wrong way. So we started to regroup. Quick question. I just want to unwrap this a little bit because to me, I've seen lots of videos launch and like including very offensive ones, but they like rarely ever make it to the front page of the Daily Mail or whichever one it is. And um, like, so like, how, do you know how the Daily Mail, like as soon as it was launched the same day, like found out about this? And because it, it feels um, like a weird. I don't know. I think it must have been social media as well. Like they probably shared right, um, right. the video, but it, it obviously went quite fast. I wouldn't say it's like it was the topic of the day for everyone, yeah. but the fact that it actually appeared online for the wrong reasons. And we were trying to sort of, we assumed that they didn't know about it. So we were coming up with a plan on how to tell the client, but also come up with some sort of plan of action on how we, we sort of, minimize this and they already knew about it and the surprising thing was that they were actually really happy because there was I, I don't know whether I'm putting it down to age maybe but they just thought like good pub, like any sort of PR was good PR yeah. they thought this was a, a nice way to get their name out there but it was just in the wrong way and I think it was really hard to pick everything up you know with with all the marketing the strategy else that we had to, to let's let's discuss that for a minute because it's interesting that this public fiasco happens you view it as a fiasco but the client is actually really happy about it because one of the objectives here is to keep the client happy and like and, and if the client likes it like you like you, you have you have a happy client yeah that was different so my role wasn't very much client facing. So the way the company was structured was as a PP specialist, I, I sort of sat in the back seat. I see the campaign itself. Yeah. Um, whereas we have what we call here client services. So it's account managers yeah. who speak directly. So from what I heard, they were trying to obviously make sense and say, fine, you know, people know who you are, but it isn't the best way forward considering we've got so much like plans in terms of, pushing organic social and things like that. So. so so, I think there are two interesting points to talk uh, to dive into for a minute here. One is often what clients want is not what's in their best interest. And, um, and it's, it's really, and what's very, very difficult is to convince a client, you want this, but you want this other thing. The sort of guys that want ads and like ads with women in lingerie, even though it's nothing to do with the product, it's like it's hard to convince them to uh, uh, to not to doubt. Which is why I think in in these cases, mm. one of the best pieces of advice is to identify whether your visions are aligned with the clients early on, in, like in the beginning. And if and if it's just if it's just too different to mm. uh, uh, to avoid it, so. Yeah. so an interesting consequence or an interesting implication is how can you think like how like how can you realize oh yeah there are these sorts of guys you know yeah. months months earlier when you when when you started yeah no I completely agree and I think we did ask them obviously why what was their logic behind putting this piece of content together because it is their business and they care about it so it must have come from some sort of you know, a right. point of view. And I think they tried to go for like the tongue in cheek sort of tone of voice, which I feel 
hasn't obviously come across that way. Um, and we did agree, you know, we took the video down, we went back to basics and try to not pretend it didn't happen, but try and just push it to one side and try to salvage. There's, by the way, there's another subtle point here, which is tongue-in-cheek campaigns are difficult to pull off successfully. That most people take humor literally. Mm. And, and when people take humor literally, you need to be so careful about, about your jokes. Yeah, it's so hard. Like, even when you're doing as an agency or as a marketer, when you're doing paid social campaigns or anything, you know, social related, it's nice to do it because I feel like it's one way to get noticed and to stand out. But it is very thin line between getting it right and then getting it wrong. And I think I would rather, I'm, I'm quite, I'd rather say far away from it and be really safe rather than take a little bit of risk. I think it's really important that if you're doing that as an agency or as a third party you work really really closely with the client and that we're all on the same page that this is what we want to do yeah, and, and by the way in going back to your onboarding point that we started with yeah i think a good onboarding lesson actually i try to get some a new insight in every one of these interviews and one that i had never thought about before that i think i'll add to my onboarding materials is being big brand decisions need to be communicated beforehand. But like there's a certain level where if they want to do this, you can't stop them. But if you know about it, then you can prepare in, in, in so many different ways. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think looking back at how I would have maybe changed it, you know, when I said that how we weren't, we didn't onboard the client very well, it's sometimes yeah. difficult when you're not in control of the process that goes on in the front end because most places where I worked at this specific place, it was more of like the heads of department and the sales department who deal with the initial pitch stage. And we only get brought in until the client's like signed the contract and is ready to come on board. Whereas I feel over time, it really helps in the final stage to maybe involve the specialists from you know the teams that we're, they're going to invest in to have their say on how we're right. going to move forward, um, and that's really I find that over the years that's really helped. Um, yeah, as I say, that's definitely key is to bring the people who are actually going to do the work, get them involved at some point before you you know officially sign and say we're going to do this because it's good to have have your say in that. I think that is that is a good point because what often happens in bigger companies is the sales team is completely separate from the people that, that actually does does the work. And bring introducing them earlier, not just lets you do better information exchange, but there's this level at which you need to like the person you're working with. And and if, if these are like these frat boy lingerie types, then, then it may might make it easier to identify the problem beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is generally where, because they, I feel, I don't want to put it all down to age, but I think they just thought that this is the demographic we want to target. So they're probably thinking about the demographic. And I still don't understand exactly how they came to that conclusion, but I it could be due to that. But over time, as we started to develop the relationship, I think they understood to listen to our opinions first and, you know, the implications it can have if... They decide to go a little bit rogue like that. I think it 
from our end, even if they had told us or we sort of worked together, them sort of uploading the video without letting us know, I think that was just something like, you know, we need to build a relationship where it's we're equal partners. And that's, again, something I've learned moving forward is that it's never us against them, like we're the agency or the client. I always want to treat it as we're like an extension of your team. So we want to be part of your team. And I think when you come to situations like that, and if something goes wrong, I feel like fingers won't get pointed because if they treat you like your team, it's more of how can we work together to fix it rather than what did you do, if that makes sense. No, that, that, that makes sense. So, so it sounds like after this calmed down, they started trusting your team more and uh, and incorporating you more into these, these sorts of discussions. Yeah, definitely. We kind of felt like part of their inner team, if that made sense. So when it, we did obviously go back to basics, how we then rolled out the strategy for me was quite smooth considering what went on beforehand because they just listened and we told them, you know, we are here to help you. So they might just need to just take our ideas on board because at the end of the day, they've kind of hired us for our advice and for our expertise. So they need to allow for, for us to have that creativity, that opportunity. That, that's great. So the question, what were the long-term effects of them being on the front page of this tabloid and what was happening? Like, like did it end up hurting them? Because like, maybe their initial instinct was correct. Maybe they got some publicity and it ended up helping. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still there. I tried Googling it the other day. It's still... (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's still there. But I think they've changed the way they come across on social. Um, So in terms of like Facebook, Instagram, all this, you know, in social channels, they've changed their tone of voice. So I know you can't undo what's happened, but I feel like if you change the messaging, sort of just bury it a little bit and just move forward and also figure out where you actually want to be because you can't temporarily like it's a long-term strategy how what you what do you need to do to make sure that your brand goes on forever there's you know there's some longevity behind it so I think it was more coming across just what is your tone of voice and starting off with that trying to you know spread that all over social get your messaging out there and just change the way you come across to the audience and then let all the other services like the paid marketing come after. Yeah, that makes sense. Every, everything is a journey, especially on these uh, sensitivity issues. So, um, so you can improve the journey. Okay, that's great. And now, so crisis happened, calm down. They started trusting you. Looking back on it now, are there any... So, so, so first... What did you change as a result of this crisis? You mentioned at the start that, that you changed your onboard a bit. But um, uh, now that we know the story, like, mm. how did you change onboarding? And what other process or what, what other lessons did you, uh, did you learn and changes did you make as a result? So when we onboard clients, we educated them. Well, we found out, first of all, how much they know about digital, so where they sit in terms of knowledge-wise, um, get to know a little bit about what they want as well as a brand, because sometimes clients don't know what they want. They just know that they want to grow their brand, but 
sometimes you've got to help them figure out what they want as well from the business. And I think firstly, educating them about the services. So for example, um, we had a similar brand that came on board. Um, it was fast fashion. I don't know if the term is known in the States. So it's, it's, it's women's fashion, but it's very low costing. Um, you know, I don't know if you heard a pretty little thing in the U.S., I don't know so much women's fashion, so... Um, it's, it, was a, it was a women's fashion brand, and he literally had no idea about anything to do with marketing. I mean, he barely got involved with just the organic posts that you put on Instagram. And we just taught him the basics of how PPC works. And once he knew that, so we basically just did one session, like a consultancy session. And we just, um, I wouldn't say teach him, but just make him like, just go through the whole, the basics of digital marketing. And then finding out what they want and just doing a full brainstorm session. So one person from each delivery team, so that's PPC, paid social, SEO, content, um, CX team as well. And we'll all come together and, you know, look at the website, look at the client's objectives. And in terms of order, what is the best channel to push forward? So come up with like a six month plan. And in month one, month two, how would we do it? And pitch that back to the client. I think that way you get to iron out any issues that you want to sort out before you involve paid advertising because I feel like paid is something that should be last compared to things like you know fixing the, the conversion rates and things like that on the website because it's marketing that you're putting money behind so you're paying for people to come onto your website so you need to make sure that the website is actually oh. accommodating users um, and having people who will end up working on the project to be involved right early. You get your say. And to be honest, I feel like you get it right. Um, and there's no ways of going back and forth because what I found sometimes is the clients come on board, you go through month one of results and you'll get into conversations like, well, you said that you'd be able to do this for me. And when you're getting asked that, you, you were in that initial conversation, somebody else was, because it's literally... They've done the pitch, they've handed the brief to you, and now you start the work. So anything that was said at the start, you don't know what they were promised or what they were told because clients hold on to certain things that you say. Um, so you've got to be very careful of, obviously, what you say to, to them in the start. By the way, I love that. I'm totally going to quote you on that. It's a very good observation. Clients hold on to certain things you say. It happens to me all the time where I'll be talking to a client, sometimes like former clients from years ago that I'm still friends with, and like they'll put back like like minor little observation or like like the most least important strategic idea I came up with, and like yeah. sometimes it really resonates with them, yeah. and and it, it's it's always interesting when that happens. Yeah, and it's a very tricky situation when they quote you on things that you never said, and it was somebody else that was involved. So I feel like the people that will end up working on it involve them in the initial you know, right from the start. So there's no issues about this person said this or this person said that. And also you get to figure out what the problems are and come up with a solution because the right people are there in the process. So I've actually found um, in terms of what we call an agency like churn. So when clients come on board and, and leave, I found the churn rate to be very, very low. Like I feel like that's the best way to maintain a strong, you know, relationship with clients. Again, and all the whole being an extension of them as a team rather than 
an agency, yeah. By the way, part of the way I manage my teams is one of my iron laws is if it's not documented and shared, it didn't happen. Like for every little thing. So like after every meeting with the client, even like quick little informal one meeting notes, sometimes it's three sentences, but like everything is documented, shared, documented, shared, documented, shared. And there are a whole bunch of reasons uh, that uh, that I like doing this, transparency, documentation, uh, uh, accountability, et cetera. But one of the reasons is because this completely solves the, wait, did you say this problem? Because even if someone mentioned something quickly offhand or like made a mistake, like if it's not in the official meeting notes, it's not, it's not on the record. Oh, wait. Mm-hmm. Like, so if they want to use it against us saying, oh, wait, no, you wanted to do this and it didn't happen. I'm like, let's go look at the meeting notes. Like, what yeah. did this happen? Was it, was it the strategy docs? And, and, and by the way, this strategy, I not to do with my client, with my employees, but I tell my clients from day number one that I'm doing this. So they know that there's this source mm-hmm. of truth for, uh, for everything. And it just eliminates that whole class of problems. Yeah. And I wouldn't say this is a, a common issue. I think we've all, it's just a something that we've all experienced. So I, w- I wouldn't say, you know, this is a constant issue, but it's always great to <laughs> it's learn. It's a constant issue for me. You're lucky if it's not a constant issue for you. <laughs> you know, when you asked me to come up with, uh, to think of a, a client, I found it really hard. And I don't know whether that's because <laughs> I've got something coming ahead or maybe I've just been really lucky, but um I yeah I tend to work with tricky situations but they've been quite short term because luckily we've found a solution but I understand how sometimes you you know you're with a client and there's just teething issues like that just last on forever and I feel like it's just not an enjoyable experience you know the client doesn't want to be experiencing this sort of relationship they're getting frustrated because all they care about is how much they're investing and then how much they're making yes but they, sometimes they just care about the bottom line figures. So, you know, when I said about educating the client where we presented like a document, a presentation that is about 10 slides that goes through the basics of PPC. Sometimes even doing that, they still probably don't get much from it because they're just not interested. They're just wanting to know how much you can make me back if I, you know, invest an X amount of media spend. But like you say, documenting and everything is still important. Um, to do that as a whole. The clients that are just interested in the bottom line, my experience, are the worst clients because of because the, because if you only care about money, it's like in the last month I I put in ten cents. How come I'm not a millionaire? And like when like when all they care about the bottom line is they're going to judge you fast based on million numbers. Second reason why why I think those are usually mm. the disaster clients is this to do digital marketing well you really have to be partners like you were saying before you have to be an extension of their team you have to think the ideas together it's not like it's not like digital marketers know a magic button oh you pay me 10 cents i'll press the button and you'll suddenly be making millions of dollars we always just that way we have to come up with ideas campaigns targets funnels together uh, yeah. And that's uh, and uh, and that takes both sides because they know the brand and the product better than the digital marketer ever will. Yeah, uh, yeah. So a much bigger process, I think, than what they think. They think it's just a paid form of advertising. That if I pay for it, I'll get an X amount back. But there's so many factors involved that even the most you know 
experienced people. You can't be in control of every single variable, especially in this day and age. I feel like post-pandemic, that's just a complete different discussion topic from what we've experienced in in the UK. And this is, I feel like it's a global thing, is that e-commerce or general like um, PPC, it's changed since the pandemic because people are changing the way they purchase the way they the, yeah, the way they're buying and that has had an imp, um an impact on costs like cost per click and that's obviously going to have an impact on your spend and the return so clients who were spending an x amount of budget years before covid are now having to pay more with the same amount of return you know like the return on ad spend and i've experienced that with a couple of my clients as well recently where the, the market's just changing and trying to educate that to the client to say we need to change the way we work now because everything else is changing yeah this is i i agree 100 to wrap this up and go back to the story any other lessons you've learned or points you want to share from this experience then or or did we cover the did we cover the main ones already i'd say when it comes to what i said about setting expectations sometimes clients want something in figures of give me a rough idea on if i spend this what i will get it's so difficult to forecast shall we say what you're going to get back so sometimes if the client's really pushing for it in the front end develop like put together some figures not in stone so you've got to make it clear that we can't guarantee we'll get this this is a ballpark of if you invest this much looking at this is the average order value of what people are buying on your website and your conversion rate this is how much traffic and what we're looking roughly at revenue I think that really helps because if you don't let the client know roughly what they're getting into um, that can cause issues because, again, they probably have higher expectations and you've already looked at the site and you know that it's going to take three months, whereas the client's thinking it's going to take them one month to get where they need to be. So it would be good to test out like forecasts or just do mini targets to present to them to give an idea of, you know, what, what they're going to get back. I think that's that's good advice. It's, it's interesting. And my mind, forecasting is always separate from expectation management where I was trying to I start engagements by managing the expectations, by how the communication will work and the speed and so on. But I like I like incorporating a formal forecast into that. Okay, with such and such ad budget, then you know, then it's likely to grow in this sort of way, these sort of contours over um, over, over time. So I, I think it's a good insight to link them. Yeah, it's difficult. Like if people are listening and they're thinking. It's hard to get specific figures because you're a new brand. So if you were set up a startup business, you don't have any data to look back on to forecast on how well you're doing. So I think even using secondary KPIs, so maybe not just you know focusing on actual revenue targets, look at secondary KPIs of cost per clicks, doing your research to say, you know, for someone in your market, CPCs are roughly at this much. So you can expect this much traffic with a spend. And I think even secondary KPIs, just giving some sort of outline on what the client expects. Because I understand as frustrating it is, they do need to know, have some sort of idea of where they're going to be. And I think you should give that to them because if we stick to what we say about we don't know, it's hard to close a deal because they want to know, obviously, roughly what they're going to get. That's another good point where... um... 
where it's common to like start engagements in any industry by giving expectations, including these forecasts and um, and like spe- and specific KPIs. But I, I like your insight of separating them out into primary and secondary ones. Um, because often what happens is we'll kind of just group them all together. Okay, here's, you know, the CPC and the CPA, then target this, target this, target ROAS, and all this, and like, and, and all this ultimately culminates in how much money you'll make. But, yeah. but, real, but really, all the time, there's like, this one is actually the really important ones, and these ones are just, are just important ones. And it's often not the obvious ones. Like, like often digital marketing, I found people that, that don't really care about making money back. They just want to sell a lot of books or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it's like sometimes, sometimes the real KPI is like a vanity metric, for example. Yeah. That, you know, sometimes that I feel like that still happens now where clients just want to appear on top of first page of Google and that's all that's all they care about. So they could be searching for the ads. I don't know if you've experienced this. Oh my God. The number of clients I've had tell me that I've searched for my ad and I can't see on first page of Google. That's just like the classic question that you get. And I think you're just going back to what they want because, you know, vanity, having a vanity metric of just appearing at the top sometimes isn't the right thing initially to do. You need to make sure you're making a return on the investment. So, yeah. By the way, let's, let's talk about this. This uh, goes back to the core of the story where the client just wanted something different than what you want for the client, where sometimes like the client has money and just wants a vanity metric. Like sometimes they just don't care about the business, but more than that, sometimes things, in fact, all the time, things will be happening in the business that we will never have exposure to and we won't know. So, so for, so for example, I work with clients where the, where they off the record told me when he started the engagement, they really, really want to sell the business in three years. Like that's the target. And to sell the business, they, they on the one hand, need like their sales were doing great. They just want, want even more. But more than that, to sell it, like they wanted to appear very credible in Google when people search for the company name. And, uh, and, and there, as you know, there are all these vanity metrics that yeah. they care about because 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 they believe those would be really supportive and important in convincing a potential acquired client. So sometimes what seems like a vanity metric or we could call a vanity metric, like sometimes there's method behind the madness to use Hamlet's line. Yeah, I, there was one actually that sold canopies. So, you know, like garden canopies. Yes. Uh, yes. And he sold like handmade customized we're talking like thousands of pounds worth of of home garden canopies and you could get a similar product from a supermarket that was like a quarter of the price that he was doing so what we were trying to make him understand is that cost of materials gone up people are not in the same position to spend what they wanted to do in terms of just you know spending um money on like renovating the house and things like that so you can't expect sometimes people to buy a price that item and he his answer was I just want to appear at the top of the page you know do what you need to do but I need to appear at the top and he just didn't understand that even if your ad appears at the top and you've got a Tesco a supermarket ad that's showing the same product look similar but for a fraction of the price 
what ad do you think people are going to click on? Because sometimes people are very price most item that's, you know, getting a similar outcome. And he, he just didn't understand it. And we went ahead with it because he said so. And we spent, I spent like a week just trying to rebuild campaigns because don't forget, he didn't give me extra money to actually appear at the top. So with the uh, same that we've got, try and get, yeah, try and get the CPCs down. And even if we don't pay a 90% impression share, like 90% of the time, try and increase that. And we did, but then he wasn't getting the return. So he realized that what we were saying was sort of right and then went back to the old strategy. But it's just having to shift and adapt to what the client's saying and they don't understand the long term. Sometimes I think they just need to know that some situations it's not possible and trying to get that through to the client, especially when they're so set on achieving that. Um, it's very difficult having that conversation. Yeah, so going back to the thing, but yeah, vanity metric is, is so difficult. It's a very subject that you just want to stay away from, really. I think to do the vanity metric work well, you need to have a good smell of the person, who they are, what they want, what they like. So it also goes back to one of the first points that we began our today's fun conversation with about how do you know who, who they are when they um when when they start. Because sometimes sometimes if you look at it, they want these sort of things and like according to their worldview, it makes sense. But sometimes they're just like an outer space. And part of the trick is determining if they're in outer space or not. And then once you determine that, they decide, okay, do I want to be in outer space or do I want to be down on earth? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think a full analysis on what they want is definitely important. Come across many clients who don't even know what they want. <laughs> they're lost within themselves as well so i think our job is obviously to be there with them partner with them and, and show them the right way which is really key this is a fun conversation we got a lot of points from uh from uh from different aspects of the uh of the kind of put, got put new women into their ads secretly to get on the front page of the daily mail or whichever tablet mm -hmm. it was yeah that that was I, I mean I don't even it was a kind of a blur now when looking back at how how we dealt with it because it just happened so quickly and obviously with things like that it just spreads like wildfire in terms of social media and in this day and age like you said it wasn't 20 years ago it was not that very long ago so it's very difficult to come back from that but yeah I, like I said I did have a google and they're still there and the content's still there um but no they, they've definitely changed their branding which is great but I, I think also it's okay that people do things like this because people really to go back to one of the interesting few minutes in a different way People do have different objectives. They want different things, and like, hey, like if like if you want to do that, and you understand the consequences, and you like, you understand how the brand will, will will come off. Like, have fun creating creating fun wacky wacky ads. It's said differently. Maybe it's true that there is no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, and also in a weird way, like it's a learning lesson for them because I feel like every entrepreneur or you know successful business owner has done mistakes like you know it's not I don't we don't hold them because they are new to everything so I think we've got to take that into consideration and they've definitely learned from it um but yeah I think the the ideal client would be where someone's just so open and be like right 
tell me what we need to do to get where we are. I feel like it's very rare to come across. I've come across recently and I'm so happy. Like those are like the gem clients where they're happy for you to take the reins. And I think um, it is very rare, but it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, those, those clients are the gems that you need to treasure all your emotions and energy. Um, yeah, definitely. It's fun. Did you for a great conversation? And everyone who's made it to the end, Thank you.